0: You are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: Biden is a pure demagogue and a perfect flip-flopper. Not a surprise at all, my friends, but to placate the radical left, Joe Biden has decided that the Biden of the last 40 years didn't know what he was talking about on abortion. We'll get into that. Also, the latest with the crisis on immigration. Will Trump get his way with Mexico because of the tariffs? That and more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show.
2: This, this is the Buck Sexton, Sexton Show. Where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters
0: with actionable intelligence. One
2: small family. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Ready. Great, you're a great America again.
0: The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst, former
3: member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now.
4: Are you still opposed to public funding
5: for abortion? I still am opposed to public funding to abortion. And the reason I am is, again, it goes to the question of whether or not you are going to impose a view to support something that is not a guaranteed right, but an affirmative action to promote. When, in fact, there is this enormous pressure and even threat to close down the clinics that are available in the past for women who do not have the funds but are able to have them paid for privately, as we've been able to do. That was one thing, but we now see so many Republican governors denying health care to millions of the most poorest and most vulnerable Americans by refusing even Medicaid expansion. I can't justify leaving millions of women without access to the care they need and the ability to, to exercise their constitutionally protected right. If I believe health care is a right, as I do, I can no longer support an amendment that makes that right dependent on
1: someone else. Whoa, what a flip-flop we have there. Welcome to the Buck Saxon Show, my friends. The Democrats' top contender and an almost presumed nominee at this point, Joe Biden, showing you nice and early who he really is, showing you at this stage of the game, that Joe Biden will say whatever he has to say whenever he has to say it. Remember we had our discussion about Reagan referring to him as an almost pure demagogue? A demagogue defined, I believe, by, I can't remember now if it was, oh gosh, um, I don't know if it was Mencken or Chesterton. No, it was Mencken, I believe, who said uh, one who speaks to a room Says things he knows to be untrue to a room of people he believes to be idiots, something along those lines. That's classic Biden right there. Say whatever he has to say whenever he has to say it. My friend David harsanyi over, uh, over at the Federalist, he pulled together a little timeline today. Remember, this is Joe Biden on an issue that for his entire career, stretching back now 40-some-odd years as a public figure, this guy's been, Joe Biden has one speed and it's politician. That's it. There's no other Joe Biden. Stretching back to 1976, Harsanyi pulled together this little timeline of of Biden, who who has been able to get by as a Catholic Democrat. Don't even get me started on a lot of the Democrats who are Catholic out there who they're Catholic, all right. They believe in abortion for all nine months of the pregnancy, that the public should pay for it via taxes, that uh, there's 37 genders, that uh, we should be teaching 11-year-olds to do drag shows, but, but they're, they're Catholic, all right. They're Democrats. Hey, I'm just saying, someone needs to explain that one to me and a whole lot of other people. Nancy Pelosi, Planned Parenthood, loves her, but she's a, she's a Catholic, all right. But what they do is they say, well, they're personally pro-life, but in their public lives, they're pro-choice, which I this is just This is the old Lincoln-Douglas argument. You know, I I personally oppose slavery, but I'm not going to stop somebody else from owning slaves. That was the old, that was the argument. That was what the, this is what, you know, Stephen Douglas, this is how it went. Lincoln's like, actually, if it's wrong, it's wrong. And you don't get to just do this well. Somebody else can do those moral, those moral wrongs and the state has no say in it. Uh, And the state will protect that moral wrong. In fact, in this case, the case of abortion, the state will fund that moral wrong. Oh, the left. So many, so much uh, intellectual contortion and distortion. Here's the timeline from Harsanyi, though, of, uh, of Mr. Biden, the uh, top Democrat now running for the presidency. In 1976, Biden voted for the Hyde Amendment, a law banning federal funds to pay for abortion. In 1981, the Biden Amendment to the Foreign Assistance Act banned any American aid from being used in research related to abortions. In 1984, Biden supported the Mexico City policy, which bans federal funding for private organizations that provide abortion, advocate to decriminalize abortion, or expand abortion services. In 1993, Biden votes to save the Hyde Amendment. In 1995 and 1997, Biden voted for partial birth abortion bans that would be vetoed by Hillary uh, Clinton. Sorry, by by Bill Clinton. She was not president, despite what some people think. June 5th, 2019, Joe Biden continues his 40-plus-year support for the Hyde Amendment. All right, that just happened. June 6th, Twitter pushback to Biden's support of the Hyde Amendment. Night of June 6th, Joe Biden caves, drops a 40-plus-year position to appease progressives and now supports taxpayer-funded abortion from conception to crowning. Joe Biden, man of principle, says no one who knows anything. This is what they offer to us. A man who will, ab- who will abandon at a moment's notice the second that it is necessary for his own policy. I told you, he's a Bidenist, first and foremost. He is a Bidenist. Um, he'll drop 40 years plus of effort to seem like he was a, a, a kind of a Democrat moderate on the issue of abortion. Now he's a hardliner. Now he's a leftist hardliner on abortion full stop. He wants to take money that the government forces you to pay in taxes and send that money to Planned Parenthood to pay for babies being killed. This is Joe Biden today, folks. I mean he's in his late seventies, and we're really to believe that now now he's evolving on a on a on a very clearly established position as, a, as not a, a defender of life, but, a, but at least as something of a moderate in the Democrat Party on this issue. Now he's a hardliner. We all know why this is, right? Well, none other than Ocasio-Cortez explained it. In case anyone has any questions about why Biden just went, whoopsies, 40 years of public life, didn't know what I was talking about, just learn now. Oh, look at that. Ocasio-Cortez gives away the plot here, play 20.
6: The term progressive is getting hijacked so much that people just think it means Democrat now. And not all Democrats are progressive. And I'm sorry, but if you're gonna come out and saying that you, you support the Hyde Amendment, which prevents us from funding clinics like Planned Parenthood, that's not progressive. That's not a progressive position. And you know what? If your pride is being a moderate centrist candidate, then go out and say that. Say, I'm proud to be a centrist. I'm proud to be funded by Wall Street. I'm proud to not push as hard as I can on women's rights. Um, Say it. Own it. Be it. But don't kind of come out here and then say you're a progressive candidate, but at the same time um, not support repealing something
1: as basic as the Hyde Amendment. The Hyde Amendment you know this is what's so interesting about this is considered a a a concession to what would be essentially it's it's a way of not being total extremists on the issue of abortion right the Democrats make this concession and say okay look we I mean we, we, women's right to choose all that stuff but just to kind of cool things down a little bit and we can still have our abortion factories and Planned Parenthood and everything, we're not going to just totally take your money and pay for this. Uh, we're going to give money to Planned Parenthood via grants and say that none of that money can be used for abortion and money is fungible, so this is really a fi- this is really a fiction to begin with, folks. I mean, you've been paying, we, we've all been paying for abortion for a long time in this country. I don't just mean morally, I mean financially. Uh, but now the left is like, no, no, no. We're, you're You're going to have to, This is the progression with the left all the time. It's not enough to tolerate. It's not enough to accept. You must celebrate. You must be complicit. You must be a part of what they want. You must embrace what they want. Say, yes, yes, give me more of that. I need more of that progressivism. I want to bathe in it. I want to be surrounded with it. I want to make my life's work now part of advancing the leftist cause. And if you don't do that, well, then you're regressive. Then you're a counter-revolutionary. Then you're insufficiently committed to women's rights. Then you're insufficiently committed to diversity. Then you are a part of the problem. This is the shortcoming, I see, of the more libertarian, conservative view of things, which is let's let's, let's just let these things play out. Let's just see what happens. We'll obey. we'll obey the rules even when they don't. We'll play nice even when they don't. We'll hope that things get better while they make things go their way and just see what happens. No, this is why the rise of Trumpism and a more muscular conservative right is so necessary, because we've been pushed to the brink of social emergency and this social and political emergency. We've seen that they will finish finish us off if they can. We can surrender and then they will come in and bayonet the survivors. We can say that, you know, we, we wave the white flag and then once they've, they've taken all of our armaments, so to speak, then they'll line us up and finish us off. And we may feel very very, uh, very, very fancy and self-righteous. You know, well, as conservatives, we adhered to principle the whole time. Okay, well, while we're adhering to principle, babies are being murdered in slaughterhouses across the country. So somebody explain to me how that benefits us. We, while we adhere to principle, people like Joe Biden show very clearly that the left now runs the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is a leftist party. No, They're not looking for middle ground. They're not looking to play nice or play fair or find agreement with the other side. They're looking to ram it down your throat. And this then forces us to revisit the revolution on the right in the last two years of who when people are trying to use the state to ram this down your throat when they're trying to take money out of your pocket and use it to fund Planned Parenthood and people like Joe Biden won't even pretend to not stand in the way of it but just not make it so blatant right let's get rid of the Hyde Amendment do you want Mitt Romney fighting against them or do you want Donald Trump fighting against them that's that's really what it all comes down to at this point. Who's going to be more effective? Who will, who will say that what they're doing is, just, is they're just a bunch of liars and frauds? It's not Mitt Romney. But I do take as much as this issue shows how fall, how far the, uh, the left has morally degraded itself, that Biden's already done this in a way that, I mean, this, this has got, even John Kerry's got to be looking at him saying, wow, this guy's a flip-flopper. That was my favorite line from when John Kerry was running for president. Was that he kept saying that he was nuanced in his positions? And then I forget who it was, but someone said that nuance was just a fancy, a fancy French word for flip flop, <laughs> which I think was true. Oh man! Just like as I say, surveillance is a fancy French word for spying. Um, this is now the reality that we're facing, though. This is a hard left Democrat Party. They are. They are not. They are. They're kicking out from under us things that have been in place to make us feel like, well, at least they're not compl- at least they're not completely insane. At least their their bloodlust does not have to be funded out of our pockets explicitly. And now they're saying, no, no, it will be. You will fund this. You will pay for this. Hmm. Joe Biden, everybody, your, your so called centrist moderate. Your return to normalcy. Joe Biden is a hack. Joe Biden has done nothing in public life that has benefited people more than it has benefited Joe Biden. He is a product of and for the Democrat system, the swamp, the overall political apparatus here in D.C. That is what his existence has been defined by. Does he have some patriotic impulses? Does he... You know, wishes fellow human being well, uh, sure. But should this guy be the next commander in chief of this country? This man who has clearly no moral or political core. It can change on a dime. After decades, you know, people say, Buck, what about Trump? He's changed. Think, yeah, but Trump was a private person. Joe Biden has been passing laws on these issues for decades. And the moment it is politically advantageous for him, he just says, whoops, forget all that other stuff I said. Oh, my gosh, Democrats, you, you both terrify me and crack me up at the same time, Libs. We've got more show coming. It's Friday. It's going to be awesome. Stay with me.
0: Things like the Hyde Amendment are attacks on women, and I will continue to fight to rip them down and empower women to have better access to contraceptive care, to health care, and the kind of things that help them live uh, healthy lives where they control their destinies, not a bunch of politicians. The vice president is is absolutely wrong on this one. I hope that, that Joe Biden rethinks his position on this issue. Perhaps he doesn't have all the facts, perhaps he doesn't understand who the Hyde Amendment's Um, hurts most and and again it's it's lower income communities communities uh, of color
5: we do not pass laws that take away that freedom from the women who are most vulnerable it's been the law for a while
2: and and it's been wrong for a long time because it really is it's just discrimination we do not pass laws that take
1: away the freedom of (laughs) man that be careful, folks. If she's going to be the next president. I'm telling you, she's having a surge with the lefties. We do not pass laws. Oh man, she is. Uh, she is not the most. Uh, not the most charming of of political candidates is she? But here we are. Uh, when they talk about freedom and access, isn't that such an interesting bastardization of the terms? Freedom, access. No, no. What they mean is you have to pay for other people to have abortions. Your your tax dollars will go to this. A policy that half the country basically opposes on deep religious and moral and ethical grounds, you will have to pay for this. Uh, It is no longer acceptable to even pretend, because I think you can argue that we've been paying for it all along, but to pretend that you shouldn't have to pay for this. You will have to pay for this. You must be complicit in this. In a sense, this is now you know Planned Parenthood being able to show up at your door and demand its little its little piece of your bank account. Democrats have stripped the the facade off this. They're no longer going to they're no longer going to go through this uh, this rigmarole of well you know we don't really pay for drinking. No no you're paying for it now. And Joe Biden was not about to get his hand caught in the leftist buzzsaw by saying well that's a little bit crazy, that's a little bit out of control. Um, he's just going to go along with it. He's going to change his mind on the fly, as he did here, because uh, he's not a principled man. He's not a principled man. He's also a man who has to apologize a lot for a lot of things. Do we have time to do Yeah, Yeah, Go. this is Biden. This is random, but uh, play three here. Here's Biden apologizing to women for saying something.
5: But I don't think anything has assaulted the system and the fundamental makeup of this country as much as this Watergate thing has. And the only analogy I can really think of is a football analogy. And I apologize to you women in the audience for not being able to think of a more appropriate analogy. But they told me here they didn't want you here anyway. I didn't expect any women to be here.
1: There's your Joe Biden, everybody. Top Democrat candidate. It's the best they can offer up there. Didn't expect any women to be. You cannot take the freedom. I mean, if it's him or Warren, I don't know. They're both frauds. They're just frauds in different ways. we got to talk immigration, the crisis, the tariffs, Mexico. This show is packed and stacked and re-racked. We'll be right back.
5: We spend a lot of time talking about the United States being a melting pot. Well, that's true. But quite frankly, I think it's overrated. We've been able to move forward because of politics. And in my opinion... Politics need not necessarily be a dirty word. Politics should be the most honorable of professions. Those of you who are doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs in the audience, how can any of you possibly do as much good if you're very good at what you do as I can do if I'm very good at what I can do? You can't. This is where the action is. Politicians happen to affect everything that affects you as you are very well aware
1: Joe Biden very high self-regard as a politician there that's from back in the day a little throwback Biden for you but I'm not gonna let anybody forget who this guy is how can you be as good as I am and (laughs) this whole practice voice thing that he has too it's it's all just a stage show for him folks it's all just it's all a put-on you know this is uh, it's like he's playing an actor I mean playing a a politician rather in a movie um, but now let's move on to the tariff fight in Mexico. This is really important. I told you, remember the way the media set this up, because if Trump wins, they're going to pretend like it's not a win, and he might get his way on this. Um, if, if the if Mexican government says they're going to change their ways in response to this tariff, that means Trump was right, and all the people mocking him and all the people saying, he's such an idiot, you so, you know, this and that, didn't know what they were talking about. So... That may be the case here. Trump has not backed down off the tariff issue. Here's what he said. Play 16.
2: When you're the piggy bank that everybody steals and robs from and they deceive you and they've, like they've been doing for 25 years, tariffs are a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful word if you know how to use them properly. Republicans should love what I'm doing because I view tariffs in two phases. Number one, it's great to negotiate with because people don't want to be tariffed for coming into the United States. They don't want that. And number two, frankly, if they go on, you make a fortune because all the companies are going to move back into the country.
1: Now, is he right about that? I, I don't know. I, you know. Probably not, not in the short term at least. But what happens if Mexico does change its behavior, because they can, and they start acting like a more responsible partner in securing the border and doing what needs to be done so that we don't have this massive Central American migrant crisis? A reporter for The Wall Street Journal, Robbie Whalen, tweeted this out uh, earlier today. Quote, Mexican, uh, Mexico's foreign affairs ministry... Confirmed last night that it is sending 6,000 members of its newly established National Guard to the southeast of the country to assist with the migrant issue. No word yet on U.S.'s reported request to change their asylum procedure, however. Okay, but this is significant. Mexico sending 6,000 people from its own National Guard to its border with with essentially the uh, checkpoint that separates it from Central American countries like like Guatemala, that's significant. This is action taken in response to the tariffs that are supposed to hit on Monday of 5% and that escalate from there. People are saying, oh, Trump is so crazy. Why would he do this thing? How could he be so silly? Well, meanwhile, the United States, or rather the Mexican government is treating this very seriously and maybe taking action in response to it that is exactly what trump wants them to do wouldn't that be negotiating successfully wouldn't that be something of a victory for the president just imagine imagine how it's going to be reported on monday if the tariffs don't go into effect because mexico more or less comes out and says uh, okay we're going to we're going to play ball we don't want those tariffs we're going to do more Uh, you mean that the the president understands negotiation better than many of these bureaucrats and journalists who run around yelling about how... Well, we'll see. I I don't want to get ahead of it. It might not happen. Mike Pence said uh, earlier today, quote, at this point, the tariffs are going to be imposed on Monday. I'm encouraged. The Mexican government came today with more, but it will be a matter for the president to consider. So now they're in a back and forth to see what is sufficient. You know, what is an acceptable response from the government of Mexico here to prevent this 5% tariff from going into effect but this is thinking uh, this is thinking from the president that is somewhat outside the box and yet yet again here we are the consensus says oh the president's crazy why would he do this don't conflate immigration and economics okay we'll see we'll see a lot of people out there that think they're policy wonks that essentially tell you We've been wrong up to this point, and we never get our way, but just, just stay the course, and somehow that will change. Now, the crisis continues at the border, and even if the Mexican government tries to help, it may not be enough. I have a, an idea in mind that's been getting some traction online, one that I support, and it really does just come down to the president and his will to act. Could solve the crisis with one executive order. I will explain what that is, how it would work, and what the opposition to it would be on the other side of the sprink
0: why does it seem like mexico's very well, because the
2: it's their fault also because they're letting millions of people walk up through their country and they shouldn't let anybody walk up through their country i mean frankly we shouldn't even have to have border patrol border patrols doing incredibly you know they apprehended over a hundred thousand people less you know what that is? 140,000 in Mexico. well i don't want this i want people to come in legally we want the people that we want and i want a merit-based system But we shouldn't have anybody. They shouldn't be able to walk through Mexico. And now I've told Mexico, if you don't stop this onslaught, this invasion, people get angry when I use the word invasion, people like Nancy Pelosi that honestly, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. I watch her, she was saying, we have to protect Mexico. We have to take care of Mexico. Look, I'm dealing with Mexico right now. They send in $500 billion worth of drugs. They kill 100,000 people. They ruin a million families every year. If you look at that, that's really an invasion without the guns.
1: An invasion without the guns, the president says. Mexico is not doing enough. Mexico is a mess, and we suffer as a result of it. And as a country with the opioid epidemic at such horrific levels, it's quite clear that there's a human cost that is... Catastrophic as a result of Mexico's lawlessness, corruption, bureaucracy, inefficiency, lack of political will to be a reliable partner on all these security and immigration-related issues, that's all real. An invasion without the guns. That's the that's really the line of the day. That's really the most interesting thing the president has said in some time, but when he says it's the fault of Mexico and Congress, there is truth to that. But that's not the only truth. Let's just first assess what he means by that. And then I'll tell you why. I think the president has set himself up now where it's on it's on him. He has There's something that he can do, and I think he has to do it. And he's not going to want to do it because the libs are going to lose their minds. They're going to absolutely lose their minds. But... Doesn't that mean that that's even better? He says it's the fault of Mexico and Congress. Let's start with Mexico. 133,000 people a month making their way through Mexico, getting the U.S.-Mexico border. They're not in Mexico legally. They're just crossing into Mexico as migrants from Central America. They could be told to turn around. Mexico has sovereignty. They could stop them from doing this. They're not Mexican citizens. They don't, have, they don't have special rights to be in Mexico or to walk through Mexico or any of this. So could the Mexican government do more to stop them? Absolutely. Is it clear that they're going, these Central American migrants are going a very long distance because they want to be in a better country? Yes. But notice how you'll see these stories that try. I knew this would happen. There are stories out there now that are trying to make the case that Mexico, for Central American migrants, is not a is not a uh, sufficient... Next stop. It has to be America. America or bust. Here's this piece, the Wall Street Journal. Violence makes Mexico an unwel- uh, unwelcoming refuge. As U.S. asks neighbor to take in asylum seekers, women in Tijuana shelter uh, and a Tijuana shelter describe the dangers. Let me just give you some of the, you'll get the, the flavor of this piece quickly. Let me just give you a little bit of this. People from Mexico's impoverished South used to migrate to the U.S. in hopes of getting a better paying job nowadays many are fleeing violence as president trump threatens to impose tariffs on monday unless mexico does more to stem the northern flow of central americans his administration has called on mexico to require migrants to request asylum there instead of the u.s by declaring itself a safe third country current negotiations between senior u.s and mexican officials to contain the migrant tide have touched on such a designation which could be costly and risk overwhelming border communities Left unsaid is something migration analysts and security experts say is indisputable. Mexico isn't a safe country. The surge in migration from Central America and the northbound caravans that infuriated Mr. Trump have eclipsed a silent exodus of Mexico, Mexicans fleeing the lawlessness of what is known as untamed Mexico. You can hear gunshots while you dress your children for school, said Alida Nava, who fled Guerrero State with her three children, hoping to join her husband in Washington, D.C., Kids are afraid to go out. Their only aspiration is to join a gang. What happens, my friends, when the border is such a mess and such a debacle and so overwhelmed that every impoverished Mexican decides, you know what? Now's a good time to just go and get in the mix here, show up without any papers, say I'm Honduran, the Border Patrol's not going to know the difference. What happens when that wave arrives? In fact, there are so many Central Americans— who are from these small, particularly from rural and outlying villages. Wait, rural villages, Buck? That's not where you have a lot of gang violence. Oh, maybe it's really not about gang violence. You have so many Hondurans and El Salvadorans and Guatemalans making the trek to the United States now. It's not really even a, I mean, they're just making the journey. Hopping on buses, getting on trains, whatever. That people that aren't going are feeling left behind. They feel like they're missing out on this. Folks, this is a mass migration event. This is going to turn into not a million. This will be millions of people unless we figure out something really soon. You're already seeing the beginnings of, oh, not only is Central America so crime ridden and unsafe that anyone who lives there, any Honduran, any Mexican must be considered an asylum seeker at the drop of a hat, You're just by saying my country is too dangerous. Now there are people who are gonna say there are whole states, at least, whole parts of Mexico that are so dangerous that any Mexican should be considered an asylum seeker. And I just wanna know, what about Venezuela? What about Brazil? What about, name a country that has a crime problem and then tell me how we're supposed to claim that they're not allowed to come here and claim asylum, too. This problem only gets worse. Mexico is a big part of the problem. Congress is a big part of the problem because Democrats are on board for this. They like this. And there are a lot of weak Republicans on immigration. They don't talk about it openly, but when push comes to shove, they don't want to really do anything. Okay. But here's what the the issue for Trump is. And I think it's time that somebody raised this with the president himself. The president of the United States does have the ability to stop this. The president of the United States can, by decree, shut this whole thing down. It will drive libs completely insane. They will claim that he is worse than Hitler. Hitler. But they will say that no matter what. Remember, there was the Muslim ban. And I remember thinking, why is he going after this right away? Well, it could be very important that the president fought that Muslim ban issue out all the way up to the Supreme Court. You remember Trump v. Hawaii. That was a Supreme Court case. It was decided June 26, 2018, just around a year ago. There was a line in that, remember, and it was found in favor of the administration. Chief Justice Roberts wrote in that opinion, 1182 in the U.S. Federal Code enables the president to suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens whenever he finds that their entry would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. That's a pretty clear law, isn't it? That's the statute. The president can suspend the entry of any alien or class of aliens when he finds it is not in U.S. interest. That's the law. That's what the law says. All of the Central American migrants are aliens. None of them have the rights of citizenship or permanent residence. They don't have the, the protections that are afforded to our citizens under the Constitution, they don't have the right to be in the United States at all. If President Trump wants this thing to end, maybe he gets this thing done with Mexico, that's possible. If he really wants this to end, he should declare Central Americans to be, because of the crisis, because of the overwhelmed border centers, because of the amount of people that are scamming the system and the fraud and the 133,000 that are coming in and the people lying about family units, the people lying about the violence they're fleeing, the people that are never showing up at their hearings, he should declare anyone from the Northern Triangle countries of Guatemala, Honduras, or El Salvador to be inadmissible by executive order. That's it. That's all. Now, you might say, Buck, that'll be challenged in court right away. And I say, yes, it will. But we have Supreme Court precedent from a year ago that went in the administration's favor. Will the court overturn Trump? Will some petty little circuit court dictator in black robes uh, tell the president he can't do this? Sure, but it'll go to appeal. And they'll lose an appeal, most likely, unless it's the Ninth Circuit with the crazies. But when it makes its way up to the court, the court's going to have to look at this and say, We've already affirmed this. The president does have this right. What are we going to do? Undermine the right that we affirmed a year ago? The law is clear. The president needs to declare Central American migrants inadmissible until Congress fixes the laws and we have a secure border and we have the barrier we need. Full stop. The president must do this. Liberals will completely freak out, they will lose their minds. Doesn't matter. This is what needs to be done. Mexico is not going to play ball long-term on this issue. It's not enough to have the tariffs. The president must act. The totalitarian libs will never relent, my friends. They they don't come back to reason. They don't want to find a central way forward or a, a, a moderate path. They want their way. They want to win. And so many of the core constitutional values that they will occasionally pretend to care about, Uh, they will abandon very quickly the moment that it is inconvenient to their emotions and their their beliefs. And here's what I found uh, quite interesting about the masterpiece or the, the latest on what could be considered the bake that cake phenomenon, right? So just by way of quick review, uh, last year, there was the Supreme Court case, Masterpiece Cake Shop, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. And in that instance, you had someone who was told that he had to make a cake for a gay wedding and had to put certain messages on that cake despite the violation of his sincere and fundamental religious beliefs that it would have uh, forced him to effectively endorse, Right. And the Supreme Court in that instance didn't really establish a defense of that core religious liberty, just said, well, let's the animus from the state of Colorado was obvious state of Colorado. In this case, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission that was set up to adjudicate these things was allowing some people, you know, they're not going to make like a Muslim baker put genitalia on a cake or or make a devil cake or anything they're not going to make you know some people have religious freedom just not christians right there is a, a double standard in what you know would you make a, a black baker bake a cake that had a had a confederate flag on it for example is that is that something that the constitution mandates well no the colorado civil rights commission wouldn't do that because you know christians are up for uh it's open season on christians as we know that the the libs really don't like traditional Christian belief. Lot, I know there's a lot of these other churches that are like, believe whatever you want, but like, we all love Jesus, but there's no such thing as a real rule. You know, that's fine. And, you know, people can do whatever. They have the religious freedom to get into that stuff too. A lot of people go to these churches where you essentially have a motivational speaker posing as a pastor. And there's a lot of like, you know, electrified music and stuff. That's, you know, to each his own, whatever, fine. But on the religious liberty question, libs are constantly trying to destroy traditional Christian belief and force them to bend the knee, as we see. in And these these instances of the, of the Christian or the evangelical baker that's being told to make a gay wedding cake, this is targeted harassment. There are plenty of other bakers that somebody could go to. And remember, it's not a person saying, I will not sell you a cake. I will not make a cake for you. I will not sell you what is already in my store. It's not that they won't serve them. It's, this in 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 the masterpiece, uh, cake shop case that baker was saying, look, I'm I'm just not going to celebrate a gay wedding with messaging that I have to create for a cake that I do not believe in. Like, that's all. That's all he was. It's not saying I won't sell you the uh, sell you the cake or I won't bake a cake for you. It's I won't bake a cake and say I love I love gay marriage, or whatever. That that's a a version of what the argument is here. Well. Just slapping down the 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 blatantly discriminatory Colorado Civil Rights Commission, which was really just an anti-Christian commission. Uh, that did not, no surprise here. That did not solve the problem because the Supreme Court, whenever it comes to defending religious liberty, the Second Amendment, anything that conservatives and that, you know, tr- traditional, Traditional um, American views of the Constitution, anytime that's up for grabs, there's absolutely no, absolutely no chance, it seems, that we're going to get some sweeping ruling. You know, Roe never happens on our side of the ledger. Reminding Roe v. Wade. You know, we never get this. uh, We're always told, oh, the court's gone so far to the right. No, it hasn't. When was the last time the court had a sweeping conservative decision that? Set policy for the rest of the country and eradicated something central to the left. I can't think of it. People say, "Oh, D.C.V. Heller book." No, D.C.V. Heller just prevented the eradication of the Second Amendment. There's still a whole lot of restriction, and this look at where abortion rights are versus where gun rights are. Abortion is a right without a. Abortion isn't just a right that cannot be restricted. It's a right now, based on judicial fiat, that you have to pay for, and that. You have other restrictions on your fundamental rights, including the 1st Amendment. You know, where can you protest in an abortion clinic? How much leeway and space do you have to give an abortion clinic? No other part of law has this stuff. Abortion is an absolutist right. That they say is constitutional, but it's not even in the Constitution. The 2nd Amendment is a real constitutional right, and there are restrictions uh, all over the place. Such that people say, "Oh, D.C.V. Heller, what a sweeping victory for the Second Amendment." No, it just it just kept it alive. It just kept it on life support. You can't outright ban a citizen's right to own a gun because you don't want guns in the hands of citizens. D.C., which is what that's what happened here in the swamp. So, with that in mind, when you see what happened to Masterpiece uh, Cake Shop, you, it was obvious this was going to happen. Washington's state Supreme Court has now pushed the issue right back into the Supreme Court's hands. The case is Washington versus uh, Arlene's Flowers. You know, in Masterpiece, you had a Christian baker who served gay customers but didn't want to do a custom-designed cake that relied on his creative talents and messaging for a gay wedding. And in this case, this is another Christian florist who served gay customers, including the gay couple at issue in this case, but would not custom-design Floral arrangements for a gay wedding. This is essentially artistic talent and artistic creation uh, versus just the basic services of a of a of a business. This has to do with the nature of the message. Things that are message free, you got to serve people, right? This is the this is the country we live in. Now, things that are message free, free, you have to serve. But this is where this is where we are. They the Colorado Civil Rights Commission and the people that. Were shown to be really anti-Christian bigots in that whole process. They were, they weren't chastened at all by this. They're just going to, they're going to keep pushing it until they get their way, unless the Supreme Court finally says, you know what, you the First Amendment has meaning. You cannot tell someone that they have to endorse a message that they do not want to endorse. You know, you cannot make a a baker or a a painter or a writer sign a loyalty oath to gay marriage. You can't do it and still believe that you have freedom of speech and freedom of conscience and freedom of religion. You can't do it. But, you know, we have this this mentality, oh, you know, if we just just play right uh, as conservatives and people that believe in religious freedom, if, if we, you know, stick to the rules and we don't get too crazy, you know, eventually we'll win out. Really? Have we won out on abortion for the last 50 years? Where 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 are these big social victories that are being delivered? You know, uh, social conservative victories that are being delivered to the right. Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen one in a long time. So uh, this is this is why we, we we are in a we're in a fight for the soul of this country. We really are. It's an ideological war, but it's a war nonetheless. I mean, this woman, if the court doesn't fa- if the court doesn't find in her favor in this uh, Arlene's uh, Arlene's flowers. She is personally liable for vast days. She'll go bankrupt. They'll destroy her. That's right. A gay couple upset that this woman wouldn't sell, help celebrate their gay wedding will be bankrupted, destroyed, and ruined because she's somebody who believes in traditional marriage. She has no problem with gay people. She just believes in marriage as it was practiced for a few thousand years until, you know, a few years ago. So she should be ruined now, bankrupted. No more business, no more bank account, no more food on the table. Unless the Supreme Court says, no, you actually don't, you don't have to sign loyalty oaths to gay marriage in this country, publicly, as part of your business dealings. You don't have to do that. Well, we'll see. I have very little faith. And for some reason, you know, conservatives are, I don't know, we, we just, we just keep getting kicked in the face and thinking that if we get one, get, take one more kick and maybe this will all turn in our favor. That's not what's happening in my lifetime. It's time for a lot of people on the right to wake up. We're going to talk later on in the show about uh, Chernobyl, and I have a very different take on it to offer you today, one that is far more critical of the series and looks at the, uh, the left-wing politics and, and messaging that i have now, having finished the series, and particularly the last episode, am quite aware have been infused into this. Uh, and contemporary propaganda, unfortunately, has reared its head in, in many ways in the uh, Chernobyl series. But the parts of the Soviet Union and the, the Soviet bureaucracy that it deals with, as I've mentioned, that's very worthwhile and interesting. And one thing about the Soviets was that they were very concerned with controlling the record. They knew that whatever gets written down will be treated as reality in the future. Whatever becomes the record will be treated as the reality in time, not entirely, but but generally and usually overwhelmingly. Uh, This is also why the Soviets would do things like painstakingly go through records when someone was liquidated, for example, within the government ranks, and they would use a razor blade to take their name out of official documents. They don't want to even white it out or anything else, so anybody could could try to scratch it away and see what was on what was under there. They would they would have these, they would go to painstaking lengths to remove people from the bureaucratic record. As and and to make it as in in essence they did not exist. And in one of the final scenes of Chernobyl, you have the, I believe it's the head of the KGB, and the punishment that he offers one of the scientists who speaks out is that they're going to make that person live a they make him live to see that his entire legacy is erased and handed off to other people. Everybody else will get credit for what he had done. Nobody will speak his name. Nobody will know that he ever existed, that his punishment was to watch in real time as his existence was erased. And then as he was going to die from uh, the poisoning of the radiation, but that's a very Soviet mindset. Well, we have something that reminds me a bit of that going on right now in this country. I've mentioned to you before that the left is is completely comfortable with ruining lives based on actions, political decisions, not criminal things, actions taken years ago that at the time were considered uh, certainly within the realm of of acceptable you know, acceptable discourse or uh, was considered an acceptable decision at the time but the left will settle scores long after the fact. And this may seem like a relatively minor case, but I don't find it minor at all. I think this, I think this should uh, send a chill uh, up the uh, backs of everybody out there who has ever taken a, a stand for something that has later on become, uh, a stand that has later on become unpopular, that the left has deemed to be on the wrong side of history, one of their favorite phrases. Linda uh, Fairstein was one of the prosecutors involved in the case known as the Central Park Five. I grew up in New York. I was in Central. I grew up two blocks from Central Park. Uh, That was my family home, was right next to the park. And it, it, it loomed very large in the lives of everybody in Manhattan. We all knew about Central Park. And this case of the Central Park jogger was... It was a very sensationalized and sensitive and uh, horrifying case of a woman who was jogging and was brutally raped and, and almost beaten to death with a brick in, in the park. And you had a number of, of young men, they were all uh, minorities, who were found guilty of this crime and then a long time passed and then they were found not guilty. And now it has become this, this article of faith on the left that they were wrongfully imprisoned. Now, I have read the work of none other than Ann Coulter, who is a talented lawyer. People often forget that. Uh, Clerked for a federal judge, worked as a corporate lawyer. She is a talented lawyer, knows the law very well, and reads, does a lot of research and reads everything, which separates her from a lot of the other legal analysts out there. And just based on the excerpts that she has pulled and the arguments that she has made, uh, I, I do not believe that the... Central Park five are innocent despite the exoneration. Uh, I'm sorry, but the fact that there was DNA that did not belong to them at the scene did not mean that the confessions that they all gave with adult relatives present taped and that a jury heard and a jury was like, yeah, these guys are all guilty. The fact that there was DNA from somebody that was not one of them found on this uh, woman who was so brutally attacked doesn't mean that they weren't a part of the attack. I mean, the fundamental premise of the exoneration is something that I, I'm sorry, I've got a problem with, unless I'm missing something. They always believed that there was someone who got away because one rapist attacker got away. It doesn't mean that anybody else who was part of a gang rape, which was always what was believed to have occurred here, doesn't make them not guilty, they're every bit as guilty. And they knew things about this woman that they could only have known if they were there during the attack and it's on record but now we're all told oh it you know this was this was racism it was terrible and it's not enough merely to exonerate them now they go out and they find people to blame and punish for this injustice it's not enough to get the quote justice of of exonerating these men who also got a huge payout tens of millions of dollars from the city of new york thanks new york taxpayers Linda Fairstein, who was the prosecutor back in 1989 for the Central Park Five. She was the prosecutor in this case. Her publisher has dropped her now due to public pressure. Fairstein is the author of 24 books, 16 of them New York Times bestsellers, crime novels. And her publisher has said, sorry, we're not working with you anymore. Now, I'm not pretending like this is, you know, the same as her getting sent to prison or something, but there, this, is, this is public pressure being brought on a person for doing her job in 1989. I was eight years old, and I am quite a ways from eight years old now. This is public pressure being brought to bear so that she suffers consequences now. You are never free of the vindictive left. There is no statute of limitations on the, uh, on the social justice rage that is out there. If they can find a way to hold you accountable when it is politically convenient for something that you didn't even do wrong, they will do it. And this is why you see with, with Brendan Ike at Mozilla, you know, he's for traditional marriage when Obama's for traditional marriage, you know, a bunch of years, five, six years pass, and they decide, oh, well, you can't be the CEO of this company anymore because you're a bigot. I'm, was Obama a bigot at the same time or no? They have no they have no uh, real principle to discuss here. There's nothing they can really say that explains this other than they like one person, Obama. They don't like the other person, Ike. But when your publishers are dropping you, well, what's I mean, when you're getting fired from Mozilla, they want consequences against individuals based upon the present whims of the liberal mob. I'm going to have to dig into the Central Park Five case now because this one is... I, I think that unfortunately people are being brainwashed on this. And they're being told that this was some terrible injustice and it's become so uh, popular now on the left to talk about how horrible it was that these men were imprisoned wrongfully... Really? All of them confess the new details about the event they couldn't have known unless they were there. We're supposed to think that that's all a coincidence? I'll have more on this.
3: You know, I think the Democrats should stop talking about investigating and do investigating. You know, all this talk about should there be impeachment, should there be oversight? They ought to hold hearings. You know, they're holding a hearing on Monday with John Dean, who, with all due respect, is a figure from the 1970s. You know, this, I don't think Democrats are helped at all by this sort of process arguments about how we should do it or when we should do it. Like, hold some hearings talk about the substance of the investigation not this process talk i you know i, I it's june already and you know the J- intelligence committee hasn't held any serious hearings oversight has held a couple the michael Cohn hearing was a serious important hearing the judiciary committee hasn't held any significant hearings about you know investigating the president do that don't talk about this.
1: I actually agree for a change with the CNN's favorite legal analyst, Jeffrey Tubin, insofar as the Democrats are a joke on impeachment, a joke at this point. This is ridiculous. No, no, we need to dig into process. We, we, we need to, you know, they, 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 they've turned into like it's some sort of ridiculous parody of themselves. We've had two years, two years of a Mueller investigation. You've you've had tens of millions of dollars spent to try and get all of the possible derogatory information on President Trump. You could have I mean all the nastiest, most damaging stuff by a bunch of anti-Trump partisans that that's what's been going on. And what is the response that we get from Democrats? Well, Trump is the worst. He has to be impeached, but we're not sure if he should be impeached yet. It can't be both of these things. This is not possible. This is not feasible. Democrats are preposterous here. Democrats are simply and utterly unserious elected officials, although they are doing this because they think that it's about their power. It's about maintaining power. It's about staying in power or achieving more of it that's it everything else all these arguments about defending our democracy or you know saving this or that institution that's that's just all not it's just all nonsense it's all complete and utter crap and they should be embarrassed by this as you know they are not um and i like that uh, that trump is taking the fight to them i mean i know that they they got all angry at Trump because of his interview with Laura Ingram. But, you know, he should point out that Nancy Pelosi is is a disaster. Flicklip
2: one. I think she's a disgrace. Uh, I, I actually don't think she's a talented person. Uh, I've tried to be nice to her because I would have liked to have gotten some deals done. She's incapable of doing deals. She's a nasty, vindictive, horrible person. The Mueller report came out. It was a disaster for them. Nancy Pelosi, I call her Nervous Nancy. Nancy Pelosi doesn't talk about it. Nancy Pelosi's a disaster. Okay, she's a disaster. I think he's correct.
1: Nancy Pelosi. We should have pitched the president as long as people don't make
5: mean videos and put them on Facebook of me.
1: Uh, he's right that she's nasty. And there is something vindictive about her saying you know, this is People who compare the Hillary thing, lock her up, to this, I think that's a really inept comparison because, one, Hillary did break the law. Full stop. She broke the law. People can try to say, oh, no, but... May, 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 may. No, she broke the law. And the law is supposed to be serious. The law she broke are supposed to be meaningful. Uh, but they bailed her out. The system bailed her out. And she also wasn't the sitting president, folks. I know that they all thought of her, the Democrats and left. She she might as well, as far as they were concerned, have been the sitting president, but she was not. And there is something different about being inside the very top rung of power in the legislative branch, as Nancy Pelosi is, and saying in front of your colleagues in the Congress that you want the current president to go to prison which is what Nancy Pelosi did. It's disgusting. It is disgusting. I mean, she is a person without honor. She is a person without integrity. People can argue with me on that as much as they want. I don't care. They're wrong. Pelosi, just like so many other Democrats should be ashamed, but is not. I mean, here's, here's Debbie Dingell, which I always think is, and my name is Buck Sexton. So how can I really poke fun at anyone? But it's technically James Buckman Sexton, but who cares? Uh, Debbie Dingell uh, says that there's no problem here at the Democratic Party right now. Play clip two.
2: She's got the full support of the caucus. I agree with where she is on the subject of impeachment. We've got to continue the investigations. No one's above the law. I am not for a partisan impeachment. I've said that many times. And I, I think we need to focus on the issues.
1: That was a Democrat member of Congress who just said, I'm not for a partisan impeachment. I mean, is she a moron? I mean, is she not smart or is she so cynical that she thinks that the people that vote for her and the Democrats are so dumb that they really believe that the, that it would that there's any universe in which the impeachment of this president would be anything other than partisan? How can anyone say this? How, how can they say this with a straight face? The left and the Democrats, the anti-Trumpers, they're always lecturing us about truth and about how Trump lies. And, and then they say things like this. It's just. Are they living on a different planet? Are they operating in some alternate reality, some other universe? What does this even mean? There's no rift in the party. She has the full support of the continue the investigation. How much more investigation are they really going to do? How much more? What what, what else do they need to find out? We have a 400 plus page report of the most anti-Trump investigation they could possibly uh, cobble together. And they're supposed to be more investigating as as if what Congress is going to get to the truth that Mueller missed. They need more facts. These are the same people that aren't even requesting that Mueller testify yet. I mean, they're a joke. This whole thing is ridiculous. I start to wonder, does the country even care about this? Or is this just a D.C., a Beltway, a Sella Corridor, coastal obsession? Maybe it is. Maybe people really don't care about this. Maybe this is some kind of a media fight that gets magnified because the people that are just, the, the people that are creating the news narrative every day all echo each other on this. And oh, impeach or not to impeach, to impeach or not to impeach. I think the biggest the biggest holdup in this whole thing is just the Democrats don't know how it would shake out for them if they did impeach. They don't know if that would work out for them or not. And they can't figure it out. And so that's what the, the inaction has nothing to do absolutely nothing to do with getting to the facts or, or the truth or anything like that. It's just they're not sure of the political calculation involved. And because they're not sure of the political calculation involved, they don't want to take action. But what's interesting to me is they're never going to really know what the political calculation involved is. They're never really going to know what's going to happen here. So I think, heaven forbid, but I think Tubin over at CNN is right. You know, just do it. Stop being such a bunch of wimps. Stop talking about it all the time. Stop pretending that there's some bit of information you're going to figure out. Uh, You know, I mean, look, they should just embrace the crazy here. Embrace the crazy like Pocahontas Warren has when she says that Trump, if he wasn't Trump, would be carried out in handcuffs. Play fourteen.
5: Donald Trump, as president, delayed, deflected, moved, fired, and did everything he could to obstruct justice. If he were any other person in the United States, based on what's documented in that report, he would be carried out in handcuffs.
1: Everything she said there is pretty much idiotic. Okay. First of all, he did everything he could. That's what she said. Everything he could to delay, uh, obstruct, et cetera, et cetera. Obstruct all this stuff. He could have shut down the investigation any day he wanted to. He could have fired Mueller any day he wanted to. He could have claimed executive privilege over huge amounts of documents and prevented testimony. Didn't do that. In what way did he obstruct the investigation? That's the real by saying something to his counsel, that did not turn into any action of any kind, that's obstruction? If that is obstruction, wow, we have to really rethink the law in its entirety. Did, and she said everything he could. If, if you told me that, you know, if I was standing, um, you know, if I was standing at, at the, you know, on, on, on the front steps of a house, And I had a lighter and a gasoline can. And you said, well, you've done everything you can already to burn down this house. And I hadn't done anything, but I could. But I hadn't done anything. I think you were a crazy person. And that's why I have to ask Elizabeth Warren crazy. He was the president of the United States. He could obstruct the investigation. He could have ended it. He could have just said no more investigation. Shut this thing down. Now, would they have gone along with that? I don't know, but he at least could have given the order. And it, was, and it might have been a constitutionally, I would argue it is a constitutionally legitimate order. Robert Mueller is not above the president in the executive branch. He's an employee. He works for the president. So someone explain to me, how he, how, how can Elizabeth Warren, who has a law degree and taught law at Harvard, get away with saying he did everything he could to obstruct and would be carried out in handcuffs? But I mean, this is just idiocy. This is idiocy. I mean, Democrats, this is the problem with them. They, they've had two years of Trump. The country's doing well. All the numbers show that Trump is is actually a pretty, pretty solid commander in chief. Not starting any foolish wars, slapping around journalists on Twitter that deserve to get slapped around. It's a glorious thing. And then they come forward, and these are the people they offer to replace him. Sorry, staying with I'm staying with Trump, man. I'm not, I, and I feel good about it. I don't, I don't have, I have no regrets. No, re- if my choice is Trump or Elizabeth Warren. Just racial fraudster, not, not going to go for it, not going to be a part, not not prudent, not prudent, not going to do it. And I just find the whole thing really pretty, uh, pretty stunning. Um, that the Democrats have stumbled so, in my opinion, so clearly out of the gates here that they just can't get someone, they can't get anybody. To pull it together, by the way, you know, there's a letter from Jordan, Jim Jordan and uh, and Mark Meadows. That point uh, points out that it's been 100 days since Michael Cohen perjured himself in testimony before Congress. And my friend Sean Davis over the Federalist pointed this out and they won't take any action against Michael Cohen. I thought lying under oath was a big deal. It's a big deal if you're Papadopoulos, big deal if you're Michael Flynn, big deal if you're anybody tied to Trump. But if you're anti Trump, it seems lying under oath is no big deal. If you're anti-Trump, if you're Andy McCabe and you're the FBI acting director, you can lie under oath and nothing really happens to you beyond getting fired. You don't go to you don't go to prison, though. This is not okay. This is not okay. This is not sit around and let's let's just be cordial to the other side. This is where we're seeing the this is where we're seeing the politics is war reality come together. When the law only applies to us, when it's bad for our side and doesn't apply to their side. That's not acceptable. It's not an acceptable state of affairs.
0: In the future, when you look up the word dirty cop, if you have a fair internet and free internet, you will see the pictures of Comey and McCabe. Uh, These guys make Hoover look like a saint. It is absolutely despicable that the head of the FBI would think it's funny and cute to send over these FBI agents to go and interview the National Security Advisor for the President of the United States. And then they walk out of there and say, look, we don't think the guy's lying. But instead, what do you do? You double down. And, and I'll just, you know, just closing with this, let's not forget, the biggest leak of all the leaks was the leak of General Flynn, the national, incoming National Security Advisor for the President That's of the United States- That's a crime, States, is it not, Talking sir? to the Russian ambassador. It was is it? an absolute crime. They, they have nine individuals who supposedly told uh, the mainstream news media Nothing was ever done to get to the bottom of that. Biggest leak in U.S. history.
1: How is it that nobody on their side, no pro-Hillary, pro-Obama Democrats in the uh, bureaucratic apparatus, no one who is a prominent Democrat got caught up in the Mueller machinery? After all the crimes that were committed, all the stuff that was done to take down Trump, all the lies that have been told. How is it that in the Hillary email investigation, there were no secondary prosecutions of anyone for destroying evidence, for obstruction of justice, for lying under oath? None of those process charges. If you believe that that's because Hillary and her top advisors are so ethical and honest, you're an imbecile. I know you don't believe that, but if one were to believe that, It's just a difference in the application of the law based on the people with power and the fact that Democrats feel very good about themselves and have no problem using the law as a tool of partisan politics, including sending people to prison, including uh, the destruction of people's lives. Speaking of destruction of lives, switching gears here for a second, uh, there is a so there's this controversy over what's going on with YouTube and Steven Crowder and Vox.com, which is the most beta male left-wing, wimpy lib website, perhaps in existence. Uh, But they published something that I thought was interesting, an open letter to YouTube CEO. This Pride Month, your LGBTQ creators deserve more than just a rainbow logo. And here's what they write. Dear Susan Wojcicki, Uh, YouTube social media profiles have been updated with a rainbow themed version of your logo to celebrate Pride Month, but to truly celebrate your LGBTQ creators and users, there's another meaningful update you need to make this month. Your platform has made it easier than ever for people to make abusive content to reach a massive scale. As a Vox video producer, Carlos Maza documented a Twitter thread. He's been the subject of personal attacks by the popular YouTube commentator, Steven Crowder. During a series of videos attempting to rebut Carlos's arguments, he calls Carlos Quote the lispy queer from Vox, along with many other homophobic and racist slurs. These repeated attacks on Carlos's sexual orientation and ethnicity have led to vicious onslaughts, including doxing and dogpiling for many of Crowder's fans. To YouTube, however, Crowder's behavior, while worthy of demonetization, is not in violation of its policies, as long as language its offending language is not the primary purpose of a video. If the Repeated harassment in these videos doesn't cross the line by YouTube standards. Then your line needs to be removed. So this is all saying that they uh, they need a change in standards right now. These policies make everyone less safe. The dangerous backlash against creators who dare to speak out against abuse is all the more explosive when your rules are confusing and applied inconsistently. Signed editor in chief and head of video for Vox.com. Journalists now, folks, so-called journos want censorship on the left call for censorship, demand censorship. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Not surprising. Just remember that the next time they make some flowery speech about the First Amendment, they don't care a whit about the First Amendment.
2: In terms of radiation, I'm told it's the equivalent of a chest X-ray. No. Uh Chernobyl is on fire.
1: And every atom of uranium... Is like a bullet, penetrating everything in its path, metal, concrete, flesh. Now Chernobyl holds over three trillion of these bullets. Some of them will not stop firing for 50,000 years.
2: Tell me how to put it out. You are dealing with something that has never occurred
6: on this planet before.
1: All right, so that's from Chernobyl, which I've been talking about here on the show. It's it's made a lot of, of uh, waves among conserv among everybody really, but conservatives like it too. I I've, I find that the depiction of the ossified Soviet bureaucracy to be really really worthwhile, and just the performances, the writing, uh, it's it's an, it's excellent in the execution of the storyline, and it's one of these moments where I take a step back and I say. Why can't so many other shows be written at this quality and and done in this way uh, without, you know, without overacting, without cheesy, predictable nonsense? That said, there's some problems with Chernobyl, and I will tell you that there are problems that a number of you identified for me and for my benefit that the more I thought about it, the more I realized that those of you who have written me on this one, sent me Facebook messages or emails. Uh, that you are correct, that there is something inherently uh, and clearly anti-nuclear about this series. And I, I thought to myself, well, come on, is it really is, are, the way that it pulls apart and shows you the guts of the corrupt Soviet bureaucracy and, and, and its necessity for forcing its people to choke down the most obvious and toxic of lies, and that's all so worthwhile. And and this is why I say the lives of others, which gives you a similar uh, taste of totalitarianism in in East Germany at the hands of the Stasi. These are really important pieces of art. They, They bring to life a part of recent history in the Western world that we should all be quite aware of, and, and understand what those lessons are. There are lessons to be taken from this. The problem with the Chernobyl series is that one of the lessons you take from it is, oh, my gosh, nuclear power is horrifically scary. And these terrible, catastrophic, possibly world ending things could happen just because a few stupid Soviet clowns don't know what but- buttons to push during a late night shift at a, at a reactor. That's not really the case. And and let me just give you a, and there's a very good uh, breakdown of this from Michael Schellenberger over at Forbes. He wrote, why HBO's Chernobyl gets nuclear so wrong. And here are just a few of the other things. Radiation victims uh, are often covered in blood for some reason, he points out, which is just not, it does not, radiation does not erode your skin and open wounds in real time. That is not how radiation poisoning uh works and then th- there's some other parts of it that are just i understand that they took some you know creative license with it but a, a big issue because people see this there's a lot of exposition there's a lot of uh, explaining how a nuclear reactor works what goes into a nuclear reactor and that's fascinating stuff and this is an opportunity to teach people and and to teach people in a dramatic way that will they'll remember so you're not just learning about the Soviet bureaucracy. You're learning about how does a nuclear power plant even work? You know, you got these cooling rods and you got water circulating. And, you know, it's kind of a weird thing. How does it work? People want to know. And that part of it's all great. And I think most of that, although I'm not a nuclear engineer, most of that is pretty accurate. At the They do it at a, at a level that a layperson can understand. Uh, but why then this way over-the-top uh, visualization and this depiction of radiation as being almost like an alien life form that is going to take us all over. Uh, one part of the movie that I mean of the series that's definitely problematic and that is clearly uh, beyond where the facts should would take it is is that radiation is uh, something that you can internalize and then it's almost like a disease. So you can't if you touch somebody who has been uh, subjected to radi- radiation poisoning, you can be radiated. If they are irradiated and then walk over with their clothing and their skin still covered in radiation, uh, then yeah, you could get some radiation from that. But in, in this series, there are there's a wife who goes to visit somebody in the hospital. It's her, it's her husband, I believe, or her boyfriend. I think it's her husband. And she uh, is told, don't touch him, don't touch him, because you'll get radiation too. Now, maybe you could say that the Soviets in that hospital didn't know, but that's not really true. In fact, the whole basis of the movie is they have to investigate what happened at the reactor when, in truth, the nuclear scientists in the Soviet Union had a pretty good idea rather quickly of what happened. Um, But radioactivity is something that is internalized. It is not a is not a contagious disease. And uh, the reason that you have people in the movie who have been subjected to dangerous levels of radiation behind plastic sheeting in the hospital is because their immune systems are deeply weakened. So, in fact, it's the people coming to visit the radiation victims that put the radiation victims at risk, not the other way around. Um, so that's there's a lot of. Um, there's a lot of stuff, and look, some of the dramatic license I'm fine with. That there are guys that were going to sacrifice their lives to empty the water tanks. That didn't really happen. I mean, there are some things that you can you can expect that would be part of the dramatic license. I I'm fine with that. But there's other parts of this that that when you look at the science, there's there's a degree of science propaganda going on here. You know, this is the first time in a long time that a that a mass audience has thought about and been subjected to anything really about nuclear power. That wasn't something you know, completely fantastical like the uh, is that a word? I think that's a word like the hills have eyes where it's, you know, the mutants that are created by nuclear power uh, or by nuclear weapons testing, not nuclear power. And that's really the that's the conflation that you see is that nuclear power is as dangerous as nuclear weapons and that's just completely fallacious that that's a it's a preposterous comparison it's not true at all in fact at one point the main scientist uh in the movie who's who's based on a real on a real person um says that this is like the hiroshima bomb going off you know twice an hour every hour every 24 hours you know whatever and that's not really it's not really true uh, there's there's a lot of fear mongering on the science in the movie. I mean, I don't think there's fear mongering from the how bureaucratic, inefficient, and disgraceful the KGB was. I mean, that's all. I've studied the KGB. That, that's all true. We actually have a, a guest who's going to be joining us in a few minutes. Who's written a book on some of the uh, using some old KGB terminology. He's a former former agency guy that wanted to come on. He loves the show and he wanted to come on and talk about his book and. He served 35 years at Langley, so I figured, you know what, we'll let it. We'll let him come on and talk about his book for a couple of minutes. Um, so that'll be happening in a moment. But but the the sensationalism of the science in Chernobyl was unnecessary. Uh, there's no reason for this to have happened in this way, and that's why I start to be, uh, you know, especially in the at the very end, they do this whole, uh, you know, the estimates and the number of dead range from the official estimate is 31 but the real estimate from people is up to based on radiation induced sicknesses and cancers, 100,000. Uh, that's not that's not true. You know that's not true. That's not correct. And you shouldn't use the postscript finished the series. Now we're going to tell you what really happened and present this as reality. You shouldn't use that to push things that are factually incorrect. Uh, as I said, in this Forbes piece by Michael Schellenberger, he writes, quote, there is no good evidence that Chernobyl radiation killed a baby, nor that it caused any increase in birth defects. We've now had a chance to observe all the children that have been born close to Chernobyl, reported UCLA physician Robert Gale in 1987, and none of them at birth, at least, has had any detectable abnormalities. Indeed, the only public health impact beyond the deaths of the first responders was 20,000 documented cases of thyroid cancer in those under-aged 18 at the time of the accident. The United Nations in 2017 concluded that only 25% of that, 5,000, can be attributed to Chernobyl radiation. Uh, in earlier studies, the UN estimated there could be up to 16 th- uh, 16,000 cases attributable to Chernobyl. But since thyroid cancer has a mortality rate of just 1%, That means the expected deaths from thyroid cancers caused by Chernobyl will be 50 to 160 over an 80 year lifespan. At the end of the show, HBO claims there was a dramatic spike in cancer rates across Ukraine and Belarus, but this is wrong. Residents of those two countries were exposed to doses slightly above natural background radiation levels, according to the World Health Organization. If there are additional cancer deaths, they will be about 0.6% of the cancer deaths expected in this population due to other causes. Radiation is not the super potent toxin Chernobyl depicts in one. And in episode one, high doses of radiation make workers bleed. And in episode two, a nurse who merely touches a firefighter sees her hand turn bright red as though burned. Neither thing occurred. Neither thing is possible. Chernobyl ominously depicts people gather on a bridge watching the Chernobyl fire. At the end of the series, HBO claims it has been reported that none of the people on that bridge survived. It is known as the Bridge of Death. But the Bridge of Death is an urban legend. There is no evidence to support it. Why? Why the lies? Why, why? And remember, I'm not talking about the, the... This is the stuff, that the text that appeared on the screen at the end of the series. Why... Why put out a claim about the bridge of death when a quick Google search proves that there was no bridge of death? Why claim that this affected uh, hundreds of thousands of people with cancer and and you know spread enormous death and misery across a huge region of Ukraine and Belarus when that's not really true? Now I'd like to think that that's just because they're trying to be dramatic and they're trying to sell tickets, so to speak, but. You know, there is this movement out there about the Green New Deal. There is this movement that we need a massive government takeover to deal with the existential threat of CO2 induced climate change. And they want wind and they want solar and all these things. These are technologies that are inefficient, that will not work well enough to let us enjoy our standard of living as we have it now. There is only one technology that does not create the CO2 that would destroy, according to these people, the world. There's only one technology that really works at the level that we need it to for the future when it comes to energy creation right now. It's nuclear. Nuclear is incredibly clean, incredibly efficient. It's an unbelievable scientific advancement. Nuclear power should be the future. Is this movie about propaganda and lies inside the Soviet Union at some level propaganda for the Green Movement? scaremongering? over nuclear power because they don't want that to be the response. They don't want that to take the place of the Green New Deal. I think that's worth exploring. we got a special guest on this Freestyle Friday, friends. His name is Bill Rooney. He has a very distinguished, uh, fascinating uh, career in the government behind him, and now he is a novelist his latest book is wet work repair which is out now bill rooney great to have you on the program
4: oh buck it's a real pleasure to be talking to you and your audience your uh, your listeners uh, i am uh, a 35 year retired central intelligence agency cia officer uh did a lot of posting overseas uh, been around operations a lot of years uh, after I finished the uh, CIA career, I worked on uh, railroad security for five years, uh, and uh, as Buck pointed out, I'm, uh, uh, this is my second attempt at uh, putting together a, uh, a story uh, with a lot of operational uh, insights into the story. Wet Work Repair uh, is the title of the book. Wet Work is a euphemism uh, out of the Russian language, a KGB uh had a Department thirteen charged with carrying out wet work or uh heavy lifting operations. Uh I grew up on the East Coast, a Jersey guy, and uh I would hear in the neighborhood uh the term uh, wet work uh to indicate uh in Jersey uh somebody would be uh run into a uh uh, a terrible ending, but then they would hide the body. So I, I always, in my mind, had wit work thinking about cement or putting them behind boards or a wall or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and
1: usually mafia stuff in New Jersey, sure.
4: That's exactly uh, that I've heard of. I know nothing about it, but that's what I've heard of. Uh, but I also was uh, one time in uh, Philadelphia when a guy said to me, uh, knew at some point how he found out, I don't know, but he knew I was agency, and he asked me if I was uh, if I was doing wit work. I said... No. <laughs> uh, okay,
1: yeah, so tell exactly. us, what is Wet Work Repair? What's this book about?
4: Well, the book, book is a story, uh, and a, any any author, the challenge is that you don't give away the ending. In this story, it's fiction. In this story, it's very troubling. I, I spent a lot of thought uh, and time before I put it together. A central intelligence officer, uh, highly experienced uh, comes back from the Middle East. He's now assigned to Washington D.C. Um, he uh, is murdered in his home. He lives in a uh, in Virginia, in the suburbs of Washington. Uh, he's murdered, and the uh, the uh, uh, people who carried it out they leave a warning. Uh, the warning on the body is cease and desist. Uh, the investigators and uh, including agency people who knew him and worked with him he was a uh, he was a uh, subject matter expert on iranian and uh saudi arabian affairs and uh worked with him for years people couldn't believe that somebody had done him in. they could not figure out a motive uh the note that was left on his body was cease and desist well the investigators uh could not get their hands around that uh, cease and desist who are they supposed to say cease and desist agency operations or uh, what's going on so they couldn't figure that out um he, the the crime scene itself is well,
1: bill bill we don't have time to go into the details of every uh, every chapter here buddy i just need to tell you what's the overview what, what did you write the book for
4: i wrote the book to get several messages out my friend and those messages are all about what's happening to values being attacked today in the United States of America.
1: And like what? Uh, what are those messages? Let's hear them.
4: Well, the the, the messages uh, are things like uh, uh, I, I say: you don't leak classified information. Uh, you maybe stand up for our flag when it's being raised. We've got too many stars on the wall, and uh, walk around Arlington Cemetery. Uh, to remind people of what the value of that is about, uh, and so uh, what what it is, uh, it, it, this story uh, addresses a number of those issues, and uh, uh, that's kind of uh, that's kind of a, a general wrap on it.
1: Well, that's what we want. Hey, Bill, look, I appreciate your career in the agency. Thank you so much for our, for what you did for our country for thirty five years, and uh, we wish you all the best with the book. The title is Wet Work Repair. My uh, my brother from Langley, Bill Rooney, is the author. And I'll
4: tell you what, Buck. Just in signing off, I'm sorry you uh, you left the outfit. I know you're doing a great job now, but uh, we could uh, still use guys, use guys like you in operations.
1: Uh, I appreciate that, sir. You take care of yourself. Thank you so All much, right, Buck. team. Thanks we'll be right much. back.
0: Team Buck. Time for Roll Call.
1: Yes, indeed, Roll Call. Uh, Before I get to the usual Roll Call, let me just say that today was, in fact, my last day at Hill TV, which has, at different times, been called uh, The Hill TV, Hill.TV, lots of different variations on the, on the theme there hill.tv the hill tv lots of things like that so yeah um it was it was quite an experience um i will tell you that the hannity and combs model of doing a show every day with somebody with whom you it's not that you're independent thinkers it's that you are pretty diametrically opposed with all of your uh, political beliefs to do a political talk show under those (laughs) conditions is really really hard. <laughs> it is very trying. And and I listened for those of you that would write me over the course of the year. Uh well, there was a reason why I didn't spend a lot of uh, a lot of time and energy trying to get you all to watch Hill TV because I I wasn't sure that it would be your jam as I like to say. I wasn't sure this was something that would be your uh, in your your bailiwick, so to speak. So that was because it's just hard. You know, you sit there, and you know what I want to say is no. It's it's not that, and this isn't about my my colleague uh, Crystal, for whom I I do disagree with her on on ninety percent of politics. Uh, but I I am I am fond of her, and we she was a very uh, professional and and skilled and uh, solid co host, but. It's just really hard because when someone sits there, whether it's uh, your co-host or other guests or other people that work at Hill TV, and they say, well, you know, really the what the Democrats are doing here with these investigations of Trump, this is about protecting our democracy. I just want to scream and say it's not about protecting democracy. It's an obvious, obvious scam to destroy this president. It's just completely done in bad faith it's madness it's absolute this is what i wanted to say every day i wanted to just "You oh, it i'm mad as hell and i'm not gonna take this trump bashing anymore and that's where i was i couldn't take the trump bashing anymore man i just couldn't do it couldn't do it you know and they were very kind to me and they were gonna compensate me even better than they had for my time if i had stuck stuck around through the election and you know, I wouldn't have been lighting my I wouldn't have been lighting my cigars with 100 dollar bills or anything, but it would have been nice and I you know I just I just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. And I'm just also so excited that now I'll be able to this show and whatever writing I want to do, whatever fox I want to do, the live stream which is going to be a TV version of this show that we're going to start uh, in It's going to start in August, so I can tell you that now. Um, I, well, I can't make more announcements about it, but the stream will begin in August. So you'll have a way to watch a uh, video, uh, essentially a, a video broadcast of this radio show, and you can watch it on demand and at your leisure. It'll be high-definition quality. It'll be it'll be pretty badass, I think, when, when we get it all set up. As well as now, when you say, hey, Buck, can you do a history show? Yeah, I might actually be able to do that. I have a contract for a, a book uh, that I'm looking at the contract this weekend. And once I sign the contract, then I'm writing the book. So for those of you been saying, when are you going to write a book? It looks like it might be very soon. So I got all these things I got to do. But one of them is not going to be, oh, you mean the, the head of Media Matters wants to come in and sit on my set today? Yes, I will press him with questions, but I will show him the due respect and professionalism that I must as a... Uh, representative of the hill.com you know no nope, now it's you want to play some let's play you know now it's going to be buck unleashed unfiltered uncensored 24/7 and not just here on radio and I will tell you those of you who listen to this show for the past year y- you were really my salvation that I could come and sit and do this show every day and remember I never I never said anything on the hill that I didn't believe I never it's just a question of having to work within the defined or or semi-defined boundaries of uh finding a a central point in the conversation where you can disagree without arguing that was you can debate without getting angry and it's very tiresome to do that it's very tough to do that and i don't even know how much of an audience there is for that Uh, i will say that the uh young man who is the young man the young man who's taking over my no but the uh the the dude who's taken over for me is a former daily caller reporter named Sagar Jetty. I've had him before as a guest numerous times here on the show. Uh, he's a fantastic guy and he's he's going to be a star. I mean he's he's already very well respected, but he's uh, he's excellent at what he does and is also a heck of a nice guy. So I'm very happy for him because this my departure is in a sense a a promotion for him because he now is he's not a correspondent for the show, he's an anchor for the show, but it's, uh, and I think he'll do very well in the role. It's really hard though. It's really, really challenging to uh, have a conversation in the current environment and not lose your cool when you hear certain things. And remember, I'm not, remember, this is not a conversation about politics with anybody. This is conversations about politics with people who are hard left, who in the case of some of the guests and some of the pundits who come on the show, are, are people who would like to see the president imprisoned, people who would like to see the president's family ruined and perhaps sent to prison along with him, uh, people who believe that there's nothing wrong with any of these state abortion uh, bills that we've seen in New York or Virginia. I mean, people believe just a, a whole slew of things that it's very hard to sit there and say, yeah, I, you know, I think you're, you're astonishingly and... And just stunningly wrong on this thing. But I can't just call you crazy. You know, I can't just say, oh, yeah, Green New Deal. Let's put the government in charge of uh, trillions of dollars of the economy. And let's make sure that every progressive and environmental cause is funded via taxpayer dollars, create the most giant green socialist slush fund in the world all because we think there's too much co2 in the air according to people who have been wrong over and over again you know how do you how do you say to somebody it's not just that you're missing some components of this but your your fundamental premise is borderline insane how do you say that to somebody in a way that's not disrespectful it's very hard it's very hard i can tell you having had to to do that i feel like a professional weight has been lifted off my shoulders i'll now be able to do what you hear which is me is just what i get to be all day i don't have to put on a different you know a different hat Uh, i don't have to put on the i was never a moderate but the both sides of the conversation premise nope now it's the buck side of the conversation this is going to be i think better for Uh, well certainly better for me and I hope will be even more enjoyable for those of you who listen because we are going to light it up we are going into an election year and team we are going to be fired up shields high it is going to be wild and with that now I'll come back to roll call in just a moment
0: hey team buck it's time for roll call
1: Time for roll call, everybody. That's right. Sorry, I know I, I kind of stalled the roll call in the last one, so now I will, I will avoid the stalling. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Lydia, first up, I just wrote a long message about you asking, why are the homelessness numbers growing? Uh, what is the root problem? I have a theory. I wanted to get it to you to mull over because I truly believe it goes back to the progressives not wanting insane asylums. Look at my three posts under your picture. Uh, Love your radio program. Uh, I guess that's on Instagram, Lydia. I will check it out. Thank you for writing in. I do know that there were efforts, I think from, I know they're from the left. I believe the ACLU was quite involved in them, uh, stretching back for a long time, that they did not want, um, uh, or rather they, they opposed people being involuntarily committed and, you know, that in general, you could think, well, that seems like a good idea. But you don't want people getting sent to an insane asylum who should not be. But I think they may have pushed a bit too far. And now people that really honestly should be getting medical help from the state, you know, it does not benefit benefit anyone for a person to be living on the street, covered in filth, mumbling to himself and you know, posing a danger to himself and others because of severe mental illness but it's very hard to involuntarily commit anyone. Is that really a, a part of the homelessness epidemic? I, I don't know. Uh, I know that mental health issues are a very large, in general, a large part of homelessness, but much of that mental health issue or me- much of those mental health issues uh, manifest themselves with addiction. So it's really you have very high rates of drug addiction and alcoholism among the homeless population. I've seen numbers as high in the past of something like 75 to 80%. Of the homeless have some form of addiction or mental illness Uh, but I I don't see much really good research on this I I don't see uh, and I, I don't even know what the conservative answer to it is I'm not sure there is a conservative answer to it we know that what the liberals are trying which is just more state funding for it and more permissive policies for people to live on the streets as though that's some kind of basic human right uh that's that's not working that much we we do see uh right here peter writes greetings buck regarding your conversation on chernobyl and totalitarianism our generation watched the ussr collapse and the berlin wall fall on tv i had the good fortune to travel to europe in the summer of my freshman year of high school and visited berlin in 1996 even then the contrast between east berlin and west was stark Dull and dilapidated communist construction covered the eastern portion of the city. The remnants of the wall still stood, but were transformed by art into a monument of liberation. The generations younger than us aren't being taught the true lessons of history. Shields high from a fellow gray beard millennial, Pete in Michigan. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Pete, and appreciate you writing in. And yes, I, I can imagine that Germany in the late 1990s, you would have been able to see quite a difference. Right now, my understanding is that what was formerly East Germany and, and has now been part of very, very capitalist and industrious Germany for decades. But what was formerly East Germany has become kind of a cool area in Berlin. Uh, so I, but I've never been to Germany. It's the two holes in my travel that I have to fill ASAP are Spain and Germany, have not been to either of those countries, and I really want to go to both. So I think i got to put that top of the list the next time I have some time. Uh, let's see here. Um, Max writes, hey, Buck, your show went all the way through roll call tonight in Boston. I heard you read my message. Thanks for your prior and current service to our country. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, you know so sorry for my ignorance the saddest part of my healing mission is when people continue to suffer shields high james all right well james they are max james aka max thanks max i appreciate it uh let's see here uh gina writes, hey buck and listening to your d-day coverage today as with all my day-long talk shows for the first time in my 56 years i feel frightened never have i felt in my lifetime that their sacrifice their ultimate sacrifice may have been in vain I firmly believe the left is anxiously awaiting the deaths of our so few survivors of these horrendous days to pass away so they can rewrite history yet again. I had two grandfathers and three great uncles fight this war. I will never forget their sacrifice. But how soon will all those raised up now forget? My favorite local chat host posted up Kate Smith's God Bless America at the end of his segment. Sitting at work, tears streaming. I silently said a prayer for my country. Shields high are needed now more than ever. Well, Gina, I, I, look, I appreciate your uh, you know, the, the emotions you feel, and also the, the depth of the love you have for the sacrifice of those on the on that beach in Normandy uh, seventy five years ago. And I would just say, don't forget that there are that there the spirit of those men uh, is still very much alive today in many of your fellow Americans. Uh, there's so many incredible. There are so many incredible patriots here still. And they will not let this country go quietly into the long night. I can assure you of that. Don. uh, Hey, Buck. Great hair. Great show. Thanks, Don. Uh, First, never leave the continental U.S. ever again. Rather, favor one of 50 plus U.K. protectorates. Second, so I'm completing uh, conflating your thoughts this week with regard to the lack of support from the right for POTUS programs to protect us and the media. Coloring conservatives as red, then Democrats should be labeled communist. Republicans are Democrats and the remainder are conservatives. Don, I have no idea what the heck you just wrote. <laughs> I'm just going to say, I have no idea what that was. Uh, I don't know if anybody else could follow that, but I, uh, I missed that one. Uh, we went from programs in the Middle East to conservatives are red, Democrats are commies, Republicans are Democrats. They're, wait, what? I don't know, Don. You lost me, buddy, but we love you anyway. Thanks for writing in. Uh, let's see here. Brian. What up, Brian? Uh, here we go. Buck, very excited for your new beginnings with your departure from rising. Well, I could not catch the show all the time. I really enjoyed your interviews, your poignant questions with people. Both agree with you and the ones you are diametrically opposed to. You fulfilled your contract and did a great job keeping it civil with many uncivil people. Well, thank you, Brian, man. I, I appreciate that. That's, that was sort of the, that was the, whole, the whole so what of what we were doing. That was the idea. Rob. God bless you, Buck. First of all, Mexico should consider their friend America and do what it takes to control their border for our sake. Second, the idea of leaving children the border for us to take care of is a philosophy of a parasite. Consider the cuckoo bird which lays its eggs for others to take care of. And by the way, Biden speaks to his audience like they're idiots, and I really think he believes it. Those are my rants. Trump 2020. God bless him, too. Thank you. Rob, thank you for writing in. Appreciate it. William, I'm glad you're leaving the hill. It must have been absolute torture for you to work there. I understand that you have liberal friends, so do I, but they just can't understand reason. It's very difficult to be friends with liberals. Only my most intelligent and, dare I say, Christian liberal friends have kept me as a friend on Facebook. Something happened in the past 10 years that made a lot of people crazy. Anyway, you're an honorable man and full of integrity. Love your show and love you, Buck. Shields high. Will, that is very kind of you, man. Thank you so much for writing in. And and uh, look, I, I did my I did my best to, under the... Uh, the rules and bylaws of the Hill TV. I I hoped uh, made the made the team proud, but now, now, now it's the rules, my friends. You and I write the rules now for the team. That's that's the way this goes from now on. I have I have one boss, and the boss is all of you listening to this show. So I'm looking forward to that. That's the way I want things to be from now on. Everybody, my first weekend post. Two full-time jobs this weekend. It's going to be really nice. I'm going to lie around and uh, read some books and get ready for my focus returning to one thing and one thing only, the Freedom Hut. Every day next week, every day thereafter, Monday through Friday. Looking forward to it. Have a great weekend, everybody. Tell somebody about the podcast. Shields high.